Good afternoon. I saw uh, a few of you on my way over here and kind of taking care of yourself and just thinking about how it's like one of the most beautiful things that uh, we can do is to is to be mindful. It's a very beautiful quality to to wear to put on mindfulness. It might not feel that way from the inside. Don't worry, you know if you're not feeling all that great. But it's it is really such a remarkable quality. This uh, this thing that we're cultivating, mindfulness. And the Buddha in his teachings on the Satipatthana, the teachings on mindfulness said that this is the path. This is the direct path for the end of lamentation, grief, sorrow, for the realization of Nibbana, freedom. So do you believe that it's a path to Nibbana? Is it doable? What do you think? Are you getting anywhere? Seven days enough? Did it work? Or a few years? It's so easy to, you know, to try to take measure in a way of um, where we are, how things are going. And I love something the Dalai Lama had once said about kind of trying to take stock of uh, our practice. And, you know, he'd say, you know, don't think about it in terms of days or weeks. He said, really chunks of like five years. (laughs) You know, five, (laughs) that sounds like, oh gosh, that's a lot of patience, but five years. And what that does is to me, when I look back five years, yeah, I can see actually very significant changes. I was describing the sense of panic, right? Of just putting my shawl up on the, you know, the teaching platform, right? Five years later, having seen panic, just ordinary experiences, seeing panic like that over and over again, slowly the tangle of that particular pattern gets, gets seen, get, gets released. So if you're, you know, happen to be measuring how things are going, if that ever comes up in your mind, um, long periods, long periods, this is steady cultivation. I wanted to speak a little bit about something that came up in one of the groups and I had mentioned it a little bit this morning, which is about learning, this path of learning. When Saito Utejaniya um, was encouraging me to teach, he said, uh, he, one of the only things he really kind of his training for me was don't be too good. So I'm trying to do that. I'm trying not to be too... (laughs) What he meant meant by don't be too good was, you know, don't, you know, don't try and live up to some standard or uh, present something. Be natural. Be yourself. Listen and learn. So the nature of the mind and body, 
right? Has its own processes. We've been saying that again and again, has its own conditioning. If we want to learn about the nature of this mind and body, what's our work? Our work is going to put on mindfulness, to take this practice on of noticing what's present, cultivating the ability to attend to the present moment. Then an analogy that I shared in the group was like being a naturalist. So we all know if we wanted to really understand the nature of uh, an animal in the wild, what do we do? How do we go about understanding its particular movements, its behaviors, how it eats and sleeps? Normally what we do is we go charging into the woods and then we, you know, with all kinds of bells and whistles. And then we say, okay, nature, reveal yourself. I am here to watch you. In a way that's like, you know, it's what do we do in our mind? You know, we come screaming into the mind and say, okay, I'm here to awaken. And I want you to show me what needs to be shown so I can get on with life. But nature unfolds in its own way. Right? The animals, the trees, the wind, right? the movement of nature is unfolding according to its own lawfulness and its own patterns. You know, and we truly are nature, meaning we are a natural process, body and mind. It has its own patterns, its own movements. So different visitors arise in the morning. We wake up, certain state of mind, rarely by the end of the day is it the exact same state. Without mindfulness, we don't take notice, right, of those changes. We simply kind of stay in this sense of who we are and identified with that entire experience all day long. Nisha reminded me in the group, this teaching that Seidel gives, which is how mindfulness turns into momentum. So mindfulness is like taking these moments, right? We take care of a moment and we become aware of something. In each moment, what can we do? Well, one of the things we can do is we become aware. Noticing body and mental activity, noticing what's present. Some time passes, another moment. So it's like placing these dots, these moments. That's our job. And we keep putting in those moments, moment by moment. So it's like these dots start forming this sense of a line. And the more moments that we put in punctuating our experience with mindfulness, what starts to happen is this experience of mindfulness starts to gain some momentum. So moments turn into momentum. And it's not that we can make our mind 
become mindful continuously, what we can do is condition moment by moment this tendency for mindfulness to arise, right? for awareness to be there, the knowing mind. And we see then this momentum grows. And the importance of momentum and why we, we're talking so much about continuity is that if we want to understand process, cause and effect, the nature of the mind and body process, that the mood we wake up with in the morning isn't the mood we fall asleep with at night, that states change, we have to have some continuity. It doesn't have to be intense. There are styles of practice that are more intense. It doesn't have to be intense. Wisdom that understands the nature of mindfulness, of how it arises, of how becoming aware in the present moment, when it understands what's necessary, it simply puts in those conditions, remembering to be aware. So that's how the continuity can get established so we can see these processes that are changing, right? How an event creates some experience in the mind and heart. Right, so then if we're present, we'll experience that. It might be certain emotions and thoughts that are there. And they may be impacting each other. You know, the thoughts might be making the emotions uh, arise. And the emotions might make the body feel a certain way. Nothing to do about that. That's a process. That's what's unfolding. When we say we don't like it, Now we're starting to have this uh, normal habit pattern that comes up, which is the mind feels aversive to things that we don't like. It's still a process, just as aversion is a process, and we see what happens next. What happens when the mind is aversive to what's here? Oh, right, it wants to get out. It wants to escape. It wants it to end. What happens when the aversion moves toward into interest. Same pattern, right? Same conditions that are unfolding. And now we're taking interest, right? The quality of Dhamma Vichaya, interest, investigation is there. Right? The mind is intimate with what's arising. Seeing the value of being present, seeing this unfolding, this process of mind and body. So an example of that, for me, I was, um, I've shared this story before, but I was uh, late at night and I was the last one up that night doing walking meditation. And I was in the hall, the hall in, um, in Burma. And so I was a monk at that time, back of the hall, walking back and forth where walking was permitted in the back. So I was walking back and forth. And as I was walking, um, coming down the hall, down the center, and then to uh, the other end, I'd, be pa- I'd pass by the area where the allowables for the monastics were provided. It's funny, I just swallowed because I was remembering what it is that is kept there, which is the allowables are some of the sweets, the sugars, 
Um, it's called jaggery, so kind of like a, sh- a sweet sugar. And these little um, nuggets that you can you can take. They've been offered, so then you can go and and take one. Because for a monk and anyone that's a fully ordained bhikkhu or bhikkhuni, food needs to be offered to you. You can't just go and help yourself, so you're dependent on, on the generosity. So this food had already been offered, these, these little... Um, sugar things, and because it's considered medicine, I could eat it after 12. So it's, you know, it's medicine, meaning, I don't know why it's considered medicine, it's like, who knows, some, someone made some little, you know, they tweaked the little rules so that they could get away with eating some snack in the afternoon. <laughs> so now, actually now, in the Thai Forge tradition, medicine even includes dark chocolate, <laughs> And in some places, even cheese, which then it starts to kind of, kind of wonder, okay, how medicinal is, is that? Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's medicine for the heart. So I, I totally, I get it. Anyway, so I was, I was walking back and forth. And as I was passing this uh, medicine, this sugar, I could feel the pull. I could feel the pull, right? It wasn't pleasant. It was like the mind was being pulled to take some of that jaggery. And I was just really intent on continuing, not actually going for it, because I could feel it. It's like, oh, I don't want to do that. So I continued to walk. Get to the other end, coming back. So I continued to do this for quite a while. Unfortunately, the mind couldn't, seemed to drop the, the knowledge that this was sitting there waiting for me. Eventually I would give in. You know, it knew I would give in. My mind knew I would give in. But I, was, I really was intent on just continuing and not indulging in this. You know, my mind was saying, this is the defilement. So it got to a crescendo where it was really screaming and I thought, okay. So... I grabbed, I grabbed the container, the whole thing, and I put it down. And the phrase that came to my mind was, let's do this. <laughs> but so, <laughs> just say, the let's do this really was, I'm really going to take this on. I want to see this process. Okay. Mano a mano. It was like face to face. Here we go. Just engaging. So I, 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 I sat there and I looked and I, and I looked at these, this thing that was so compelling, it's amazing. And this is, you know, when the mind is concentrated, gets still. This is ordinary stuff. We all experience craving, but the craving in the midst of silence can be so intense, right? And that's the place we can learn something, right? Is that it becomes clear enough that now we really understand, oh, this is craving, so I, I just watched it. I watched the intensity of this craving. Just watching it. It's like, okay. So I took one and I ate it. Watched some more and I took another one. The craving was super strong. And just to finish up the story, I pretty much ate what was offered to the whole community in that sitting. And 
I had decided, I was determined that night to just spend the night uh, up practicing. By about four in the morning, I felt some rumbling in my stomach and had a... <laughs> and I think I knew at some point this would be a story that would have to be shared, you know. <laughs> it was highly embarrassing to be, you know, as a monk, having gone through the entire, you know, container of, of sweets and then having, you can imagine, I had to run out of the hall and managed luckily to get out of the hall because that would have been something else to try to explain <laughs> what had happened. And I wasn't really meant to be up in the hall at night. So I was, I was, I was really wanting to do my practice. So being mindful, continuity. <laughs> Back to the theme. So much was understood Right? So much was understood. It would be so easy just to indulge and kind of get rid of what really was the agitation of craving. Right? You know, I would have thought, well, what I was really wanting was to get to eat this, you know, to eat the sweet. But part of what was happening is I was wanting to get rid of the craving. Right? It's agitating. Defilements are agitating. Let me try and get rid of something. I just want to get out of this. This is what we do. I want to get out of this predicament, out of this moment. So part of that, yes, there was part of that I was just trying to escape and the mindfulness was strong enough that it really was there and observing so much. And for me around the pull of food, you know, there was some understanding that really happened at that time. And I could feel it, the whole kind of strong, a pull and obsession around food, something a little bit released at that at that sitting where I really, you know, and during that process, it was, it was quite a long process because it took a, a long time to eat that much. Um, <laughs> so I had a lot of opportunity to just see and understand the extent, what is craving? What is its nature? What is it doing? What does it need? It wants, it wants, right? And I also saw in a way, even though wanting can be temporarily satisfied, it also deepens the habit of wanting. We think there's a way out by getting what it is that we want or get rid of, getting rid of what it is we don't want. The problem is because the mind is habit-forming, It conditions, right, is always being conditioned. That which we practice gets stronger. Practicing mindfulness gets gets stronger. Using our wisdom is why we're encouraging, use your wisdom, it will get stronger. Using interest, interest gets stronger. So that kind of allowing and exploring a defilement, that sort of report for Seidel, that was like, mm, that was perfect. When I, you know, and I've told you that when I would try to describe some, you know, wonderful meditative state, he normally would see that I would, you know, was coming in with some sense of like, you know, puffed up energy, like, look at me. But reporting what was here, what was true, what was natural. And it's true at times, our mind is very clear, we can report that. But 
being interested in the nature, the nature of these habits, right? Of greed, of aversion, of storms and patterns. They're going to be with us, right? So much. They come back again and again. So it's important to really relate to them with interest, just being interested. What is here? What is this process? What is this experience? And we were talking about um, the sense of self in, the, in that group as well. It's a huge terrain of something to learn about. And that's one of the more um, kind of nuanced things to understand in the Dhamma is what does it mean, this not-self? And again, it's like, where do we start? Well, we often start with the experience that we actually have, the experience that it feels like self, right? It feels like you know, this experience that I'm having is happening to me. Right? Our thoughts are my thoughts, my views. And again, it's like, we don't have to do a lot in our practice. That's, that's the wonderful thing about the Dhamma. The Dhamma is already the way it is. We don't have to get rid of something like the feeling of self or get rid of craving or aversion or delusion. We get to know the moment as it is. So we get to understand, okay, what does it feel like? Like one of the things we can learn about is this sense of self. What does it feel like to be really obsessed about oneself? We all know that. We all know that experience. When the mind's really obsessed, it's either really worrying, holding oneself apart, withdrawing, right, or inserting too much. And once we're mindful again, right, we can see, oh, that's what that was. That was that clinging or that attachment, that identification to that particular experience. So process, processes. You know, things that we take to be solid and permanent. They're a process. Any experience that you've ever had is gone. It's gone. Always going. Going or gone. Even things that are arising right now, right? once the awareness and mindfulness is a bit clear, there's already that sense, right, it's being known right now. It's being known right now, again and again. So those punctuated moments bring some clarity right, to this sense, this illusion that we have, <coughs> that we get tied up into. 
right, of, of this really strong sense of I and me. And when that, when that sense is really strong, then we have to do whatever it takes in order to protect, right, to protect our feelings, protect our body, protect our image in other people's minds. There's whole industries, right, that are set up around this particular uh, weakness of ours, which is how am I being perceived? How am I being seen? You know, it's like we have to look a certain way, dress a certain way, because it's kind of tapping into that, that kind of uh, quality in the mind that has fear and anxiety or desire to be loved and appreciated. <clears throat> 